Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Hermosa is the path to becoming one's own home, a thread pulled when Salgado thinks about who she is and who she has been. Beyond the survival, grief, and fight, Hermosa lives in the small moments hidden beneath it all, a journey of firsts, of mistakes, of celebrations, of the love, the crush, the disaster, the rebuilding, and the never-ending cycle of growth. Jessica Salgado is a Los Angeles-based Salvadoran poet who writes about her family, her culture, her city, and her brown body. She has shared her work in venues and campuses throughout the country. Salgado is a four-time member of the Poetry, a Poetry Lounge Slam team and a 2017 and 2018 National Poetry Slam finalist. Her work has been featured in the LA Times, Latina Magazine, Univision, Vibe Magazine, Huffington Post, NPR, TEDx, and many digital platforms. She's the co-founder of the Latina feminist collective Chingona Fire and an internationally recognized body positivity activist. We're incredibly fortunate to have her with us this evening. Please join me in giving Jessica Salgado a warm welcome. There's so many of you. Hi. Who was at my event last, yes, last night? Okay, cool. I, no, I was just trying to figure out if it was a lot of you. I wasn't going to read the poems that I read last night, but um, who cares? Hi. <laughs> My name is Jessica Salgado. I am Hela Salvi. Um, so we are, what is it today? It's Friday the 13th, so I wore all black. I'm channeling my inner bruja. Um, also, my, my crush was on my release yesterday, so I'm trying to like harness the moon. I'm like, if you didn't fall in love with me when I get a standing ovation, I don't know. I'm out of, short of sending him my titties, I don't know what else I can do. <laughs> also, welcome. <laughs> I talk about titties, amongst many other things. So, Hermosa is my third book. Um, uh, my first book, Corazón second book, Tesoro, and now Hermosa. And as I'm sitting here, um, we've sold over 4,000 copies of Hermosa already within its first week. So um, I say that number because I think it's important for us as a community to know that number. Um, every win of mine is a win of yours because I write hard for my mangoes. If you don't um, use social media, I don't know what century you're in, but also uh, I talk to uh, my readers and I call them my mangoes. And um, if you want to find out about that, you could buy Corazón. And then I won't tell you why, but at least it'll, like, that's how you become a mango. That's your baptism. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm going to read a poem, and then we'll talk a little bit more. Diaspora writes to her new home. I am what comes after the Civil War, after the dismembered corpses, the burnt sugarcane fields, the mango tree strung with a single hanging body, the man with a tongue in his pocket, the soldiers in the guerrilla, the exodus of my grandmother's children. I arrived after the fleeing, after the bruise was named a desert, 
after the new country extended its concrete arms in reproach, after living in garages, huddling in small apartments, after raising blonde children who do not know our language, after washing cars we do not drive, after keeping home for women with alabaster skin, after falling in love in the time of asylum, after the alcohol took to my father's veins, after the family murmured his sins, after my mother cut the long coil of her curls. I found my way here and I stayed. A fist of a girl with eyes big as a welling mouth. I was born with a pen under my tongue. I know and own all the words ever spoken. I am the dream and the nightmare. The burning bush, Moses, David, Goliath, Mary Magdalene, the Holy Virgin, God himself dead and resurrected. I am not the survival. I came after. I am the victory a boastful flag. I am not a promise, I am a threat. I am what takes and does not give back a new history, a fort tongue, a priestess, church in communion, a woman with her own legacy. Take this, my story, eat it, and remember me. Thank you. So here's a drill. I don't like this, I, you stare at me the whole time and then it gets awkward and I don't know if you like the poems or not. So you have to tell me you like the poems as I'm doing the poems. So you could clap, you could stomp, you could cheer, you could anything that moves you. This is like church. If you want to catch the Holy Spirit, you can. I don't have any space for you to fall over, so just do it in your seat. Just, just go down like that. When I, I grew up Catholic and then um, my church was a charismatic church and a priest would give us a blessing and we would fall over. Uh, well, not that, that was the goal, right? That you would catch the Holy Spirit and fall over. I wouldn't. So then at some point I just started pretending because I was like, fuck this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to miss out on this experience. So then I'd be like laying on the floor every time. And then, and then you're on the phone, you're trying to figure out when is the right time to get back up. Like how long does the Holy Spirit stay? I was going to be a nun at some point. It's, it gets weird. I don't write much about that, but it gets weird. But speaking of that, um, this is my neighborhood. I'm from Silver Lake, born and raised. The first time I ever read poems in front of an audience was in this bookstore. And from then on, for years, I dreamed of one day signing books here. And this is the second time I get to come back and, and do a book signing here at Skylight. And so it is, it's an honor. You don't know how many times I sat by that tree and saw my eyes out reading someone's someone's poetry or I came in here with my friends after at House of Pies. House of Pies is like where I take everybody I love. Um, like my cousin Jackie. Yeah. Well, Jackie, that's when I treat you. Cause when you treat me, you take me to eat like fancy sushi. But when I want to, <laughs> when it's my turn to treat her, I'm like, do you want a slice of pie? But, um, <laughs> royalties when they come in, I got you. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll let you know. Um, but, but this is, this is my home. This is my community. And, and thank you for, for coming out here and taking up space with me because, you know, gentrification is hella real. And um, anytime that I could make way and be like, this is my fucking city. Move out of the way a little bit. I like to do that. So with that, this is the poem. Um, this poem's called Casamiento. Let's get married when the jacarandas are in full bloom. When the lotus flowers of Echo, Park have, of Echo Park Lake have stretched into open hands, make me yours during summer, beneath the Dodger Stadium fireworks. The night air my veil, the 101 taillights sequining my gown, my bouquet, you know when you write words that you can't pronounce and you're like, why the fuck did I write that word? I get nervous because I know it's coming and then I'm like, if it lands, it lands, okay. Uh, my, the night air my veil, the 101 taillights sequining my gown, my bouquet of palm tree borrowed from Sunset Boulevard, 
Let a procession of lowriders, Priuses, and rapid buses lead us to our reception. A hundred street vendors with their hot dogs or elote carts lining the street, feeding those that celebrate our love. Let's have our first dance to a Snoop Dogg song. While the neon lights from the liquor store shadow your beautiful face. Some, someone setting free a dozen ducks taken from MacArthur Park. Let, let's make Pershing Let's make This was beautiful when I was writing it, and I don't know why y'all are laughing. I was crying when I wrote this. Let's make Pershing Square our dance floor. Borrow the mariachis from their Plaza Exposition Park, the centerpiece to every table. Promise yourself to me on Slauson, on Cesar Chavez, on Temple, on Vermont, on Parkman. I have seen enough of the world to know that it has always been you. I return to you with open arms, my beautiful city, Los Angeles. I choose you in this life, in my parents' life, and in the lives that they left to bring me to you. Thank you. We did not work out, and that's fine. The years will take care of the ache. What we learned of each other is still alive. Go, be happy, come and tell me about it someday. Thank you. Um, and so I write a lot about heartache, a lot. <laughs> And um, there was at, when I was working on this book, um, I thought I was done with somebody. That's funny that I always say that whenever I release a new book. But, and it's the same person. But when I was writing this, uh, uh, he had a girlfriend, so I thought it was over. And I was trying to do like the very mature, like, go be happy and come back and tell me about it one day. And um, he wasn't happy, and he came back to tell me about it. And I was just like, this works too. <laughs> if I never forget you. If you are forever a puncture in my lungs, if I go around wheezing your name like a dusty accordion, I think it's okay. I can survive like this. Someone will ask about my greatest love and I'll squeeze out a song. I'll tell them I don't know what became of you, but I remember your hands on my skin and that is enough. Together we learn that love isn't peace. I let you go. I can live like this. Thank you. Let's say it worked, and you became boyfriend that became husband, and I had the babies and named them after planets, and we built a house out of straw. You kept your bottle. I kept everything else. We tied our relationship out in the yard with our parents, two angry dogs that barked day and night. You still hold me like I can break, and I still cry during sex, but it's love, you and I. We are a mess, you and I. Let's say it worked. We got the life that I planned for us. You work all day and I don't write anymore. I don't travel, I raise the kids, I keep my anger, and you keep your drinking, and the dogs bark so loud that I can't hear you. The dogs bark so loud we stop kissing. The dogs bark so loud you start looking like my father and I leave just like your mother. Let's say it worked. We kept each other, but along the way, we ruined everything else. Thank you. <clears throat> How many of you were born in LA and like raised or raised in LA? In the yeah. Yeah, in the in the hospital right over here at Children's Hospital. That was for me that was a rich people hospital growing up. So you you bougie. I my mom had to go all the way to East LA living in Silver Lake. That was an ordeal. And then like I showed up and then a nurse told her that I was never gonna be normal. 
And then whenever I do weird shit, my mom's just like, I don't know. <laughs> no, but um, uh, I think that um, somebody sent me a video on, on Twitter of a woman that was saying like, oh, I'm born in L I was born in L.A. Like, I'm an L.A. native. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> She's like giving a whole spiel. Have you seen that video on Twitter? Oh, I have to send it to you guys. But um, these, are, these are my best friends right here. So I'm going to be talking to this section a lot. Um, but you're welcome to like here. Um, <laughs> but she was saying like, you're welcome. Like, like it was saying like every LA native in a room. And she was like, yes, I'm from LA. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. It's an honor. Um, yes. Yes. And so I'm like, that's what I do when I tell people like in the Uber, when I tell people I'm like, no, I'm a native. And they're like, oh, wow. Or when they drop me off in Silver Lake, they're like, you live here? I'm like, yes, bitch, I live here. <laughs> so then I make them drop me off at the big fancy house across the street. And then when they drive off, then I cross over to my house. <laughs> just so that they think. But being part of LA also means that there's a lot of, um, we share a lot of collective grief a lot when we return to an establishment that's not there anymore and it's owned by somebody new. Um, and we shared a different kind of grief also this, uh, this year when Nipsey passed away. And um, I've never seen my city turn up for somebody like that. I've never seen us come together the way that we came together for Nipsey. And it was such a beautiful thing, but it was also really isolating to be in parts of the city that nobody gave a shit. You know, I, I'm in WeHo a lot because um, I'm, I'm a member at a workspace over there. And so traveling there and then like just seeing how different it is, kind of like the privilege of not caring, you know? And so then when, I, when that happened, I wrote this poem, it's called Marathon. Touch the scar, ask how it found him. He says, gunshot, I say nothing, and we make love. He walks to the bathroom, a small crater on his side, tells me to go back to my home, to my gentrification, fence gardens, quiet streets. A long time ago, bullets often sent me home. Police flashlights into houses, cars, eyes of boys I loved. I got lucky. We lost the block. It got safe. It got better. Everyone moved away in pickups or handcuffs. They left. My lover is no longer my lover. He finds his way to my street, drunk and determined, come outside. And I don't know what I fear more. What happens when I step outside or what happens if I stay inside? It isn't safe for us to be human here. We argue beneath a street lamp. I feel the whiteness panting against the windows. Nipsey is killed. I text my ex-boyfriend, I love you, please be safe. And my block is quiet, so fucking quiet. Thank you. Um, how's everybody feeling? Everybody good? Y'all are still really quiet. I don't like this. It's making me nervous because, like, I feel like I'm giving a school presentation, and I'm like, I don't have a PowerPoint. What is PowerPoints? Oh. <laughs> Have anybody ever told me to do one? I don't think I'd be like, uh. like when I give keynotes and people are like, do you need a projector? I'm like, for what? <laughs> I know my poems and I'm like, you sure you don't want to send over like your file? I'm like, I don't have, no, I don't. I just need a microphone. It's, um, yeah, keynotes are interesting because I don't know if, if anybody ever books me, whatever, if you're here. But I don't know what the fuck I do. I show up at a keynote sometimes. I'm like, I don't know. What's the subject? And they're like, we booked you three months ago. I'm like, yeah, well, 
being being me means you get the you get whatever I'm thinking today. <laughs> and then you're up there, um, and you're up there, and you're like, "Fuck, what do I say?" And then I start thinking of all the memes that I know and how I could put them into my story. <laughs> I used to sell knives door to door. That's a lie. I only went to two doors. <laughs> I only went to two doors, but it sounds good to say door to door. I worked at a parking garage booth. I was a salesperson in a paper goods store. I developed 30 minute film. I called folks about refinancing their homes. I think it was a front for something else because one day I just showed up and they gave me an envelope of money and they told me not to come back. <laughs> but I worked there. I nannied a pair of twins. I became head cashier at another drugstore. I would take the bus to each job, all of them out west in Santa Monica or Palisades or Westwood. I used to commute three to four hours every day and I know this city the way I know heartache. I can taste it before I can give it words. I mourned my father on the 704. I got my test results about infertility on the 302. I wrote the first poem in my first book on the 201. I broke up with plenty of boyfriends over the phone at bus stops. Made my way to the beach, contemplated walking out into the water, but I always came back on the last bus. I counted the purple streets, on, the purple trees on my block, kissed my mother's cheek goodnight. Gentrification tried to tell me that what once loved me can no longer love me back. And I laughed. You can't take what's already in my blood. Thank you. <clears throat> so I made a promise to myself early on that in any book that I wrote, I was gonna have a Spanish poem so that my mother can experience it on her own without me needing to translate it for her. Um, and then I didn't realize that that also is true for my readers and their mothers and because they, many of our mothers only read Spanish, right? And um, so this time, I usually, the poems that I pick, I'm very thoughtful about and it's something that I wouldn't want my mom to read. <laughs> like the first one was a poem about her and then in the last one was like, um, about being Salvadoran and then this time I was just like, no, I think this poem, I wrote this to myself a long time ago and I'm like, I think I need to hear this in Spanish too because sometimes you need to talk, sh check yourself in Spanish. So this is called Tontita. <laughs> and this is the, the, the Spanish portion of the day. If you don't understand, I'm sorry. Well, not really, but you know. <laughs> Welcome to my life, okay? I'm always, the, I'm always missing a word for something in the language. That's one of my own lines. I just quoted myself. Vinny... <laughs> Sorry, I'm like, I, I think I'm a little high right now. And so, and so we're going we're gonna to roll with that, okay? Um, I thought I had five hours before the release, and then I realized that I had two hours. And so here we are. You know, whatever. Medical. It's medicinal. Med medical. Medicinal. Venía aquí mi niña tonta. Mi lloroncita, mi corazoncito roto, ¿por qué lo quieres? ¿Por qué lo buscas? ¿Qué te dio que te tiene tan perdida? Claro que lo amas, ¿cómo no lo vas a amar? Si él fue el primero que te dio, que te dijo que quería todo lo que tú has querido, yo sé que es bonito consentir a quien uno ama, tener a quien cuidar. Pero mi niña loca, mi palomita triste, mi cielo gris, ese hombre no quería ser querido. Él lo que buscaba era olvidar y tú, mi amor, tú no eres el olvido. ¿Te acuerdas de tu papi? 
de ese amor tan grande de las tardes bajo los palos de limones y tú y él hablando de las noticias o de algún deporte o de un compañero de trabajo y de vez en cuando tú, chiquita linda, le preguntabas, papi, ¿cómo se dice tal cosa en español? Y él te contestaba casi riendo. Tú seguías con tu cuento, ¿te acuerdas de ese amor? ¿Cómo puedes amar a alguien que no te puede dar lo mismo? Corazón, dime, ¿qué te trae tan mareada por un hombre que jamás te amó como te enseñaron a amar? Dime, que yo no lo entiendo. Thank you. What is love? It is 2 a.m. and the lights in the club have come on. You are tipsy, sweaty. Your lover presses his hand into the small of your back, guides you out into the street, past the crowd, and straight to a hot dog vendor. He leans over you and says, Deme dos con todo, por favor. <laughs> If you don't buy me hot dogs, I don't know. You need the one. What is falling out of love? It is 2 a.m. The lights in the club have come on. You are tipsy, sweaty. Your lover walks ahead of you into the street, past the crowd and straight into the car. You ride home in silence. He drops you off. You get into bed, alone, drunk, hungry. Thank you. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> I ate his ass because I loved him. I gave myself lockjaw sucking dick. I swallowed the bitter cum, nodded when asked whatever he asked. I let him eat my pussy all wrong. I moaned in the name of romance. I arched my back and pulled him in for a kiss. His heart was in the right place. Later, I laughed with my friends. I don't exactly know what the joke was. His awful sex or me neglecting my body and calling it love. That, mm. <laughs> right? Um, sometimes you sit there and the, there was a meme. I'm telling you, talking memes. Um, it's, you know, we're millennials. Uh, uh, and it says, like, girl, when you're laughing at your ex and you realize that he's your ex. Like, <laughs> that's been my situation. I'm like, yeah, he's so, he's so stupid. I'm like, wait. <laughs> I chose him. Hashtag not all men. <laughs> What I remember of love, laughing with my mouth pressed to his bare shoulder, pulling over on Beverly to point out a full moon, my hand curled around his, a six-hour fev six fevered confessional on Christmas Eve, smiling so much that my face hurt, ironing his work shirt, his voice at 3 a.m., never speaking over me listening even when he disagreed, drunken phone calls to murmur he loves me, reading the same book, having different opinions about its ending, Sade playing while we make love, calling each other when work feels pointless, crying into his lap, making bets about politics, arguing but never leaving, knowing that he sees me, all of me, and still stays. Back then, when I knew him, before he knew someone else, when distance became an aftertaste in, in each kiss, when I forgot what his snoring sounds like, when it got so complicated that we stopped trying, I remember love. It's all I ever do. Thank you.
Um, so this next poem, um, I'm really happy that I get to share it today because uh, a big part of the story of this poem is here. Um, I wrote, this is a poem that I wanted to write for a long, long time, and I couldn't figure out how to write it. It just wouldn't come, and, and I tried different versions, and Carolyn once said that, I quoted you the other day about it, and Carolyn, you look so nervous. It's okay, it's a good quote, but about how many, we write poems multiple times hoping to get to the poem, right? And, um, and so this poem was a testament to that, that I had been trying to write about my dad's alcoholism in a way that showed how complex our relationship was, how having an alcoholic father is like having multiple fathers. And so I wrote the poem, and I read it at the Poetry Lounge at, at my home venue where I first started showing, sharing poetry, and my friends are here, Donnie, that I know from the Poetry Lounge is over there in the back, and, and um, a lot of what I have I wouldn't have without that space. But either way, so I read it, I read the poem there, and then I realized that it, it took too much for me, like I wasn't ready to share that publicly, um, so I put it away and I didn't share it for a long time and then maybe like a year and sometime later I found it and no I went looking for it and I couldn't find it and and I looked throughout it was, this was back before Google Docs and I used to email myself poems so I was like searching for it in all my emails and I couldn't find it and my friend Vanessa um, we were very new friends at the time and she used to drive to pick me up in Santa Monica and take me to the Portrait Lounge in West Hollywood because that's love <laughs> and I worked in a parking garage and never learned how to drive that's I don't know I don't know what happened there I was around cars all day and I never learned how to turn one on but <laughs> but she would go pick me up and bring me to the poetry lounge and I'm telling her this story one day in one of our rides and then she goes oh uh I recorded the poem when you performed it and mind you we weren't friends at the time and I don't know what moved her to record that specific poem as an audio note and so she messed she emailed me the audio note and I was able to rewrite the poem from the sound of my own voice so the poem came back for me and um, it taught me the lesson that sometimes you write, I, you write poems to like survive whatever it is that happened, and then you make a career out of your work, and you go out and you're sharing these poems that people tell you, oh, this helped me survive what I lived. So you put on this hat about like I help people, and then a poem comes back to slap you in the face and be like, no, bitch, you write these poems to help yourself, and and so um, it had to be in a book, and so this hermosa had to be the book that it was in. So here is the poem. <clears throat> the first one is a quiet Sunday afternoon. I find myself holding his hand so often, there is no need to tell him I love him. At dinner, I prefer to eat from his plate instead of mine, and he never stops me. He is tender, so tender, and I pretend to fall asleep with my head on his chest just to hear him breathing, as if I were inside of him as if I were a vital organ, as if this were the reason I was made. He calls me his heart, and I never doubt it. I know the second one has come home by the slam of the door. It is 3 a.m. and every light is on. His music is loud and angry like him. When I ask him what's the matter, he answers and sounds like a hand slapped to a face or a body slammed to a wall or glass broken to a cheek, and I try not to cry because my tears are like blood to a shark, and he is a shark in the deepest part of night. My name is caught in his jaws. There is so much yelling. I wonder why the police haven't been called. So much anger. I fear the sun won't rise in, in time to save either one of us. The third one is full of jokes that are cheap and easy like that vodka he likes. The fourth one never remembers how much he's hurt me.
When we bump into each other in the kitchen the next morning, he won't look me in the eyes. His apologies come as a hurried kiss to a forehead. As a mumbled, I love you, before he rushes off to work, I resent him. Sometimes I even hate him. But it is so, it is so difficult to love him. But if I don't, who else will? Who else will forgive him? Who else will save him? Who else will make him want to change? The fifth one. I wish for every single day of my life in every blown out birthday candle, every time I knelt in a church pew, I begged God to send him to me soon. And when he finally did, when God finally gave me a sober father, he was so broken, so brittle, so apologetic, so willing to make it work, I had no choice but to forget everything that had ever come before him in the day that he left me. A sudden exhale of wind, a slight twitch of a foot, a hand I couldn't get myself to release. I remembered the first one, how as a little girl, I used to pretend to fall asleep on my father's chest as if I were an appendage of his body, the reason I was made, as if he had never become anyone else other than the man who called me his corazón and never let me doubt it. I don't have a segue for that, so we're just gonna jump into the next phone. And um, it was about the first time I smoked weed. So full circle. I did it in the name of love. Um, I mean, I have the poem for it, but me and Wade have had an interesting relationship because I have anxiety problems. And then this was before, like when I was in high school, all of this strains and all this fancy stuff wasn't the thing. You knew the one guy that sold weed and he sold it to you. And then you had to go sneak somewhere in your notebook and break out all the stems and seeds. And it was mostly dirt. Like you were probably smoking like dried cilantro. I don't know. And then like you willed yourself into feeling high. But, um, <laughs> and then, and then there's a story about how, like, um, I used to smoke crack and I didn't know I used to smoke. So <laughs> here's a story. Here's a story. I used to hang out with a bunch of boys and they used to smoke pee dogs and I didn't know that pee dogs were like the blunts with crack in them. And so I just, I'm like, why does weed get me so like, and then it was <laughs> more of the story. Don't smoke with strangers. The first time I smoked weed was in the name of love. Ricardo was a cholito with eyelashes that curled on their own. And I was down to do anything for him. It was third period when we both leaned our heads over an apple turned pipe. He talked me through the inhale. I looked up into his eyes almost forgetting to exhale. We hid in the baseball field until the bell rang. When we walked to class, I did not know if I was high or if I was floating, maybe both. We got to algebra class and Ricardo leaned in through the fog. I heard him say, hook me up with your homegirl. I was back on earth and in my fat girl body again. The apple should have given it away. Thank you, somebody's sad, I know. It's okay, Ricardo was not the one. <laughs> and neither were like all of the ones that came after. But you know, there's poems. There's lots of phones. 
Bobby bought my sisters and I uniforms and lined us up on the front steps, tallest to shortest. Meeting a mis hermosuras, took a Polaroid and drove us to school. We were the only kids in white polos and blue shorts. I am sure this is a metaphor for many things. His drinking, mommy's legal status, their service jobs, the smart daughters they were raising, three beautiful medallions, polished, new, our, our good English and our backpacks heavy as bricks. And this one's called um, Judas. And um, the other day I did a, a whole Bible recap, like a modernized Bible recap on my Instagram live. And um, it was the funniest thing I've ever done. And like um, Judas was a hater. We all have some Judases in our lives, but this isn't what this poem was about. But I just remembered about Judas. <laughs> I was seven years old the first time a poem got me in trouble. It was about my father punching my mother. It was true, but sometimes the truth is also a lie. Sometimes it doesn't set you free. It sets you up. Your father calling you Judas the rest of your life. My father taught me to love words, to read everything I could get my hands on. My father taught me words have feet. Say the wrong one and it'll run as fast as it can, announcing itself a word stops being yours once you say it. I did not stop writing poems. I am running too. I go far ahead of myself on sheets, on screens. I am now in places I have never been. This must be freedom. <clears throat> Thank you. Bayunca. So in, in, in Salvi Spanish, bayunca can mean many different things. Um, but it's usually your mom telling you to stop doing something because you're being a bayunca. And it could go from being shy to um, being silly or whatever, but um, that's your vocabulary word of the day, bayunca. I had a tia that would sometimes drink and play poker at parties, and the other mujeres would murmur. Beer is a man's drink. Milk and coffee is for the mothers. They drink their cafecito at the table while talking about furana de tal or aquella bayunca que se cree mucho. I sit as closely as I could and listen to the gossip, memorizing names of the scandalous relatives, the tío with kids from a secret woman, the cousin who left to Mexico because he got in trouble here, the loca that is off acting like a man again. Those are my favorite stories. Women doing what women don't do. I imagine all the beer I drink when I got older. I chug it down like a cold soda and burp loudly on purpose. I'd cackle big and booming, wouldn't care when the mujeres say, esa niña es tremenda. Instead, I'll lift another beer and say, así es tía, salud. <laughs> so I'm gonna do a little, I didn't tell the people that work here, but I'm gonna do a little Q&A after this last poem and because I don't feel like talking the whole time. I like talking to y'all too. Is that good? Yes. And then please don't make it weird where you stare at me and then I stare at you and then you don't say anything. And then when I'm signing books, you wanna have a conversation? This is your moment. Cause then when you're signing books, um, that's not the moment. I love you though. I was born and sometimes I want that to be all the story there is to tell. I was born and there was a parade or fiesta Mommy came home in a gown and I was the corsage on her wrist. Papi chugged down a beer, stuck two fingers in his mouth and whistled. 
My tias laughed, tios drank. The cousins old enough to hold me passed me along, unless you were Jackie because she's tiny. Look at her, she's standing over there. Um, passed me along, one pair of hands to the next. She's here, she's here, la niña is here. If only that were it. But I was born and the story had just begun. Thank you. Um, so when I was working on the book, uh, this is my third book in two years uh, that I've uh, had the honor of publishing with Not A Cult. And um, I was really tired when it was time for this book and I didn't want to write it. Like, I mean, but I had to because I had already signed the contract and spent the money. But um, <laughs> I really, I, like, I was, I was like, just emotionally exhausted. And I, then I sat down with my friend Gabby Rivera, who's also a writer. She wrote a book called Julia Takes a Breath. And she told me, she goes, I haven't seen this Jessica in a book yet. She goes, as a fan of your work, I haven't seen the, the nails and lipstick, Jessica. And I said, all right. And then by this time, my book was already 17 days late. <laughs> and I went home, and Daniel texted me. I was just like, uh, where's the manuscript? I'm like, oh, it'll be in your inbox tomorrow. So I stayed up all night until 6 in the morning pulling poems to do this book. And my only rule was I, ha I had to like the poems. Like, I didn't want to, like, in Tesoro, I tried to do this grandiose thing, and I left love notes for y'all hidden in the book, and I tried to do callbacks to the first book, and then this one I said, it's fine, it's the trilogy, I don't need to do, it's the end, it's the end of, 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 a, of a chapter of my life, it's my graduation, and, and, and this moment is about me. And so these books that, um, these poems that you hold in your book uh, are, are really just me in, in, in the simplest form, and um, not worried about having to impress anyone or outdo myself. Because that's a trick, right? When you're trying to outdo yourself, you're never going to be happy because you're trying to please yourself. So, so thank you so much for coming and listening to the poems. And if you have any questions, I can answer them now. Thank you. <laughs> any, no? Yes, hi. What motivates me to write? Uh, survival. I mean, you know, I, I was a young kid in a difficult home and therapy wasn't an option. The only thing I had was paper and pen. And that's how I learned to cope with life and that's how I cope now, you know, and, um, and I have the honor to be able to share it with people and then you realize that you weren't as alone as you thought you were, right? And all the things that you think make you weird or make you unlovable or make you like other, you realize that there's thousands of people that feel the same way and it makes the world so much smaller and bigger at the same time. Like it shrinks and it expands and, and, and so, yeah, that's what motivates me, just surviving and then realize that there's so many of other, of other people surviving too. And then also celebrating, right? Like past the survival, like, like the triumph of the fact that like our stories are so much more beautiful and they are so much more than the migration we took to get here, right? That's why the, the book opens with, I'm not the migration. I, I'm not the reason that left El Salvador. I am the reason we stayed, you know, and, and I'm here to take. And, and so with writing, I get to take, I get to claim things and make them mine. I get to write about Cyrillic and then it's mine. And nobody can take that from me. The buildings and the stores can go away, but in history, Jessica Salgado came from Cyrillic.
Yeah. But, okay, any other? Yes. I don't. I mean, <laughs> I don't. I like there. I mean, the poems. I don't know. I try to figure it out. Uh, it's really, it's heartbreaking, and it's a constant heartbreak. You drive to a part of town that you've never been in before, and then you see some storefronts are closed and they're gone. You walk into your favorite coffee shop where you wrote all of your books, and it has a new owner, and the coffee shop doesn't look like the coffee shop you sat in for three summers trying to dig a book out of yourself. Um, all of a sudden you realize you don't know your neighbors. Everybody's built high fences and they're all your nemesis and you're beefing with everybody. I beef with my neighbors. <laughs> uh, one of them nailed my window shut. It's a whole story. Um, it's okay. It's, it's open now, but, um, yeah, no, but, uh, uh, it's hard. It's really hard, but, but the hope is the fact that Although gentrification happens, you, like I said, you can't take what's already in my blood. You can't take the stories that already exist in the city and who we are and who we've been. And I'm so blessed to be part of a community of writers that we're creating art. Like it, any every poem is an LA poem because we're from LA. We're writing in LA. We're writing about experiences that happen within the city. And so it's important to name where you were when the things happened. So that's why you find street names and all that stuff in my work because that's the hope that this is mine and you can't take it from me. I mean, I don't own any property, but better, I don't have debt. <laughs> yeah. Um, anything else? Back there. That's such a broad question. No, but no, but it's a question I get very often and I'm just like, there's not like, there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. People tell me, ask me, like, how are you doing it? What are, like, what? I'm like, there is no shortcuts. I dug through the mud to bloom, to get to where I'm at now. And um, not that everybody needs to be in the mud, but it's all one step at a time and celebrate every single victory along the way. You know, you wrote a poem today. That's fucking amazing. You know, now you have 10 poems and you could do a zine or a chapbook. That's fucking amazing. Now somebody wants to publish you. That's amazing. But even then, if you're not published, it doesn't make you any less of a writer. It doesn't make you any less of a creative. Um, it's, it's like for people that are trying to find themselves, it's, it's a lifelong journey. Like, because don't, we don't know the selves we're trying to find. Five years ago, Jessica wouldn't have believed you that I'm gonna that I would that this would be my life. And then when I think of five years from now, of who there's things that terrify me, right? In the future. But the idea of having those things that terrify me is so freaking exciting. And so all I have to do from here to till I get to that point is just to take it take it day by day. Every day is a decision, every minute is a decision, one thing at a time. One thing at a time, and then next thing you know, you have millions of things. And so, yeah. Um, anyone else? Yes. What does it feel like to like one of your poems? It feels good. I mean, if I didn't like my poems and I was still writing them, I would be very concerned. <laughs> I, and to say that I like my poems doesn't mean that I don't think I can grow as a writer too. 
um that's but that's a different conversation but to like have work that I I I I love it's it makes me happy I mean like I this is the reason you know I had a boyfriend once an ex-boyfriend that would listen to himself all the time he was a rapper and he was always playing his songs I'd be like why the fuck are you always listening to in the car in, in the apartment like after set like it was just him all the time and then, like, I I was just like, I can't take this anymore. But now when I think back, I was just like, well, that's dope that he believed in himself enough to play himself. You know, like, if if anything, if nobody else cares about his his SoundCloud, he does. You know, and, and that's beautiful. Um, <laughs> oh, God, yes. Anyone else? Yes. Speaking of rappers, I have followed you on social media for a while. Yes. And I know you love Drake. Yes. I thought this was going to take one of those, like, are you holding him accountable? I'm like, I don't know him. (laughs) No, because I get that a lot. Like, how dare you love Drake? I'm like, look, he's a rapper. Like, um, but one of my favorite, what are my favorite songs? Come Through is maybe like my favorite getting ready song. And um, I don't know, like, I listen to it and I'll be like, yeah, man, rap game and crack game, are they different, you know? And then I'm like, I feel it here. I don't know. In in my like lately, I've been wishing I was a rapper because like there's so many like a- amazing woman rappers out, and they get to say really dope things. Like they get to like boast about their success, and poets are supposed to be humble, <laughs> which I think is stupid. But but I'm like, oh, if I was a rapper, I could be like say like really like four thousand like four thousand something. I'm like, I would have something to say about that, and I'm like, it could be a caption on everybody's Instagram, and um, yeah, but um. I think in my heart, in my next life, I'm going to be a rapper. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, there's thousands, right? There's thousands of poems that don't ever, ever make it anywhere. Um, and there's some of them that there's, there's poems that exist now in three lines that were once like a whole sheet of a poem. And sometimes the poem isn't good enough to see the light or it's just for me and, um, or it's on the process or if it's a stepping stone on the process of becoming the bigger poem. And um, I write every day. It's a practice that I've had my whole life. Um, you know, it's, and then every day I write for myself. Would I ever publish? Please, if I die, don't publish all my shit. Like, don't don't Bukowski me. Don't go looking for my shit, Edwin. You're in charge. Don't let them look through my shit, and because some of it is not meant to be published. <clears throat> like when they're like another Bukowski book, I'm like, this was like Tupac. Like, just keeps putting out shit. <laughs> let the white man die. Like, I can say that I used to be a big fan of his. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, you know, reminded me of my father. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> over here, and then I'll go over there too, Dove. So, first of all, thank you for sharing all of your emotional experiences. Um, have you thought, or is it a work writing for longer, or is it a story, or a novel, maybe? Uh, there's a few, there's books that will be eventually happening, and I mean, I just released a book. I think we're okay with this one right now. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I said it at my re- book release last night, and um, 
I'm going to be taking a step back from publishing another book with Not A Cult and um, not because I don't love them. They're my family and we're such such a beautiful team and we've built so much stuff together. But um, I have a literary agent and our goal is to go with one of the top five publishers in the country and get this story out, get my, not this story, but just get something out there from a different voice. Um, I don't have an MFA. I don't have any abbreviations of anything. MFA, GD, BA, whatever. Um, I don't have none. Like, all that's on my wall framed is my LA Times article. <laughs> and um, everything I've built has been an uphill battle. And so I'm ready to, to get some of the, the fancy stuff, you know? But um, so the next book is going to be called Mentirosa. And it's going to be a collection of poems from about my catfishing days. And um, so that's exciting. Um, yeah. No, like it's, I mean, it's funny. And I, I say a lot of funny things. But it's also really real. We all become different people thinking we don't deserve love. And so we take on different masks to try to find that love. And I think it's important to like dissect that. And then I don't know if I want to write a novel. Or, I mean, I know that I eventually want to write a novel or a book, but that's that's something that terrifies me, like I said. And so um, when it comes, it'll come. And I don't know. We'll see. And if it doesn't, that's fine, too. I'm tired. <laughs> my my love over here had another question. Someone over here? Yes. So the three books in this trilogy are all um, terms of endearment, right? Corazón. The Soto Hermosa, and these were all words that my dad called us, and it was how we knew he was in a good mood. So it means a lot to me in the sense that my father has passed away, and he doesn't get to see a lot of my success, but it's also a lot of my trauma, a lot of the ways that I learned to love, and I talk a lot about love all the time, and uh, in the parallel of my parents' relationship with the way that I love men now, and, and how it's so hard to overcome all of that. And so you're always looking for signs that someone loves you. And so, um, so yeah, so each of the books uh, are just a callback to the complexity of, of love and, and how that's existed for me in my life. Um, and also, I just, I just love naming things in Spanish and then having um, white people just not know how to pronounce them. <laughs> like their hesitation is, I love it. They're like, uh, uh, hmm. I'm like, it's hermosa. And I'm like, like hermosa. Be, I guess hermosa. You could say hermosa. You know, or, or oh, a woman called my book Corazon. She called it Cortisone once. She's like, she's like, I love your book Cortisone. And I was like, well, you know, you tried. You tried. Yeah. Any? <laughs> yes, my love. I mean, I don't want the novella love, like, yeah, because the novella love is abusive. But um, <laughs> but what's kept me hopeful for love? Um, I mean, there's so much, there's so much love other than romantic love, you know. Like, my friends are fucking amazing, and I have so many different kinds of friends that love me in so many different ways. Like, um, you know, like Edwin's like my best friend, and we've been in this game together for since the fucking beginning, crying in cars, and um you know, and just fucking struggling <laughs> through it. And, and like, our love is, is a kind of love that makes me believe in, 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 and just love existing in other ways, just like, um, 
to be able to meet people that aren't even in your family and to have this selfless, selfless, huge love fill you and not have to feel like you need to talk to somebody every day. And then if you don't call me for three weeks, we're on bad terms or like whatever, like to have love be that unconditional with friends lets me know that it can exist in a romantic sense too. It's just a lot of trash I got to dig through <laughs> to get to that. And, um, but you know, I'm also, I have a therapist and we're figuring out why. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. My crush was on my book release yesterday. I'm really excited. So maybe, I don't know. And then we've been DMing each other all night, all day, all day yesterday, all day today. And so we'll see. Um, but um, I, I love love and I'm boy crazy and I love falling in love, but then I get bored and then, and then you know, and then we, I'm, you know, it happens. I'm just, yeah, you know, working through it. Um, anything else? I'll take two more questions and then we'll wrap up and do the signing. Yes. Conquering the blank page. I mean, I don't, the, the blank page doesn't intimidate me. This, for me, it's, I have such a, a, an intimate relationship with my writing that it isn't like a, and if it doesn't, like if I sit down to write and it's not happening, I just close my computer. It wasn't, close the tab, but the poem wasn't supposed to happen for me right now. Um, I don't really believe in forcing something because then it's not, then it's not for fun, you know, and like, Sometimes you want to write and flex and be like, oh, I could write this and I could write this beautifully. But I, I, I'm not at a place where I need to flex on myself anymore, you know? So my writing process is, it starts with a feeling and then I start writing. And if it's not happening, then I don't write it. Sometimes um, I have to come back to the poem. Editing is something I'm trying to do more of because I tend not to edit a lot. Edwin's nodding at me. <laughs> um, but, but also, uh, a big part of the process is reading, like reading as much as I can. I hadn't been able to read as much as I enjoy reading because I've been on the road and doing all this stuff. And, and this summer, I had the pleasure of not having shit to do. And so I consumed the hell of poetry books. And hopefully, uh, this makes my writing process easier the next time I want to sit down and start writing more poems. And also, I'm taking a break from writing for a little bit. Um, I think I've said enough for a while. And I need to do some living. Because if you don't live, what the... F You're going to get the same shit over and over, and I'm not trying to bore myself with my own work. Okay, one more question, and then we're... Nos vamos. No? I see, like, someone, like, someone's elbow over here. No? You good? Okay. If, yes. <laughs> That's such a a, um, a millennial question, right? I don't think there's a difference. Um, and I understand the question is a really innocent and sweet question, and I appreciate it. But I think that it's also like um, uh, uh, there's this there's a lot of gatekeeping that happens in writing, right? At every corner, and I think at the most basic level is the handwriting and and, and the computer writing, and the people that handwrite think they're better than the computer people, right? And then the computer people, well, they're in the computer, so they're not really thinking about handwriting. And <laughs> and, but but um, I used to work at CVS, right? That was the last job I had before I quit and became uh, and did this full time. And uh, I would write, most of my first poems in my first book were written on my phone. 
Um, I would write on my lunch breaks. You know, I would have an idea for something. I would rent to, say I had to go to the bathroom and I'm standing in my stall writing a fucking poem because you're over the whole, you have a lot of poems to write when you work retail. Um, I wrote a lot of poems on the bus on my way home um, from many places. Uh, I wrote poems, I wrote a lot of poems on the toilet. Some of these poems were written in the toilet, you guys. It's fine. Um, but but it just it it makes writing so much more accessible, you know. Like when I have to have a pen and paper and sit down, like then I need a table, and then I need like a writing space. And some of us don't have that. So I I think it doesn't matter how the poems come, as long as they come, whether you're writing them on paper, on your laptop, into your phone, in fucking calligraphy. Some people uh, write their poems in like any in, in so many different ways, but um. Yeah, and so um, whoever out here is a writer and is trying to figure out and has all these questions, I want you to know that 80% of the questions that you're asking yourself don't fucking matter. You're just trying to get somebody else's permission to do what you're already doing. So it doesn't fucking matter. Write your fucking poems. Go to open mics. Read them in front of people. If you if that's too much for you, find friends that love poems and share your poems with your friends. Um, some of my first audiences were our writing circles. That's how Vanessa and I met. We would, we all would write poems and put them in a bowl and then take them out and tell us, tell each other like how they could be better. And and so if you don't have a network of people that could tell you when a poem's good and when it's not good, you need a new network of people. Um, you know, and when it comes to publishing, there's many different ways to do it. You could self-publish, you could have an independent publisher, you could have a large publisher. It doesn't matter. Just put it out there and share it. And then everything else will figure itself out. I started printing books at Staples on sheets of paper, my zines. I did three of those. And then Nada called said, hey, you want to publish a book? And I was just like, sure. And so now here we are three books later, and now we're going on to the next level to see what that is and and what happens next, and I'm super excited. I consider this like my my graduation lap, you know, and, and um, I finished college, y'all. I'm no longer trying to be a writer, I am a writer. Um, I have no interest in climbing the mountain. My interest is in teaching the mountain how to kneel. And with y'all, we make this mountain kneel because each number fucking matters. And I just want to get more brown folks like me out there um, telling their stories and living their wildest dreams. So thank you so much for coming. And I'll see you when you come get your book signed. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.